And we answer that question. We've been answering that question all year long. Who is God? What is he like as a study of his attributes? But stop and think for just a moment. All of that in a precious baby. As God presented himself to this world and came and bore flesh so that he could die for mankind and purchase our place in heaven. Praise the Lord for that today. I'm in the book of Colossians, so I'm going to ask you to be turning there. Colossians chapter 1, if you'll find your Bibles and have our hearts open for the word of the Lord this morning. Colossians chapter 1, as we're continuing our study of our response to the nature of God and who he is and what he's like and the attributes. And as we saw two weeks ago, we need to love him with all of our being and serve him with all of our being. And today, I just want you to stop and think about what it means to obey the Lord and do His will. Before we do that, I just want to ask you a question this morning. How would you pray for a church that you didn't even know? Not do I pray, because we're believers. That's one of the spiritual disciplines, right? We pray. Not should I pray. We should be praying. We don't pray enough, frankly. But when we do pray, what would I pray for? I mean, a congregation that you've never worshipped with. A congregation, it may be across town, it may be in Romania, some church that you know where we've planted the Word of God and thrown seed out there, maybe up in West Virginia. A church that you've never been a part of, how would you pray for that church? Some may say, well, how should I pray for South River, for this church, for my brothers and sisters? Well, it's amazing uh, because we should be praying for our church. We should be praying for churches all over the United States of America to be the authentic church that God has called us to be. We desperately need that today. And Paul writes this letter to a congregation that, that he does not know. He only knows about the church through Epaphras, probably their pastor who came and shared with them. Paul's never met there, been there. He's never met them. He doesn't know what their faces look like. He doesn't know their Sunday school teachers or their leadership. He, he knows Epaphras, and Epaphras has shared their faith, about their love, about their hope. He's told Paul about this church in Colossae. And Paul says he opens the letter, and of course, as he does in so many of his letters, he gives thanks to the Lord, and he's thankful for them, thankful for their testimony. The gospel reached them there. It's in central Turkey where Colossae is today, and, and I've been there, and it's, there's nothing there. There's no buildings there. There's some, some shepherds. There's some farmers. There's not a lot there uh, what, from what remains of the church in Colossae. Paul's never been there, though, and he says, I am thankful, though, for you. I'm thankful not just for you. I'm thankful for the word of God, the gospel that reached you, and the faith that you now have in Jesus Christ, and the love that you show to the other saints, and of the hope that now is laid up in heaven, because you heard the gospel, you heard the truth that Jesus saves. And he says, I have a prayer for you, not just grateful that you heard this. I have a prayer that I am praying for you. And it's something we should be praying for one another and praying for other churches. And what's fascinating is as Paul writes this prayer, he's in prison. Now you would think if I was in prison, if you were in prison, and you were writing to a church that you didn't know, would we be talking about praying for them? I think we might be asking them to pray for me, right? In fact, what would we ask him to pray for us if we were in prison for the gospel? What's fascinating, all throughout the letter, you, you, don't, say, you don't see Paul saying you know, necessarily, hey, pray that I get out real quick. But he does say, God, I pray that, pray that the Lord would open doors for the gospel to reach more people. Pray for opportunities for our speech to be seasoned with salt, with grace over in chapter 4. And, and that an opportunity would arise for the gospel to go forth so that it can bear more fruit. 
That's the testimony of the church in Colossae. It's what Paul wanted for others to experience as well. It's what you and I should want to experience and to pray for the church. Praying to that end. See, these are spiritual needs that we should be praying for. Praying for the ministry needs. Praying for the expansion of the gospel. For God's grace to reach more people. For more people to see and believe and understand that they need to place their faith in Jesus Christ. And allow God's word to change them. These are ministry needs. Yes, we pray for spiritual needs, physical needs that we all have. We all realize we live in a physical world and we have burdens that we bear as we navigate life. But ultimately, we are, we are, we are souls that have bodies. We're going to dwell somewhere forever. And so the greatest thing we can be praying for is for people to hear the truth and obey the truth and live the truth and flesh the truth out. And that's what Paul is going to pray here for this church. We need to pray for the churches in America. We need to pray these kinds of prayers. Because frankly, there's just a spiritual rot in Christendom today in America. There is a a willingness for the church oftentimes to listen to what the world says, what's politically correct or what they think uh, we should be doing, rather than listening to the Word of God and, and hearing what God says. And we need to pray earnestly for for the church to turn to the right, for a tidal wave of God's grace just to sweep across the land and change hearts and lives. Not, not to bring destruction like a tidal wave, but, but to bring reformation and change. So often in May, there's a, a day that we pause as a nation. It's the National Day of Prayer, that first week of May. And what we really need is a day, not just a day to pray, but we need a nation of churches that are praying daily. Praying earnestly for God's spirit to move in the hearts and minds of people. To move in the hearts and minds of his own people. And for us to be the salt and light that God has called us to be in this short section that we're going to read in just a moment. Verses 9 through 12. This is a prayer that that Paul relates to them that he's been praying for them. And it's how you and I should be praying for the church. And it has to do with obeying the Lord. And living in light of his will and doing his will and finding joy in it. So I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord as we read this section. How do I pray for my church this morning and pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ? And how can we pray for a revival to sweep across our land? Paul says, for this reason, verse 9, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Father, today God, we just humble ourselves right now, Lord. We have, we have sung about our Savior, the, the one who came to bring us joy. God, we were not in joy, Lord. We were experiencing temporal happiness at times, but we, we hadn't found anything to satisfy our souls until the good news came to us. Thank you for the one that brought that word that could change our lives when we obeyed the gospel. Today, my prayer, Father, is that that same truth would speak to our hearts today. God, we would hear you speak, Lord, and God, we would yield to the truth that we discover and and our lives would be transformed, God, and that you would create in us a greater hunger and desire to obey you each and every day, just simply applying the truth that we discover in your word. 
Spirit of God, if there's one before me that, Lord, has yet to surrender and yield their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Father, today I pray that would be a day of repentance and a day of faith, turning and trusting in the one who can save us from our sins. Spirit of God, speak to us now. Lord, you, you inspired Paul to write this, but now illumine our minds to understand it and enable us, Lord, to apply it so that our lives can be fruitful as well. And we'll give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. What should I be praying for my church and for the church in general across America? We should be praying that we would be full, we would know God's will so we can obey it. Paul said, when I heard about your faith in the gospel, though I didn't know you, though I didn't know this church, when I heard about the day that, 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 that you accepted Christ and that this church was born there, since that day that I heard it, I've not ceased praying specifically for you. I've not stopped praying, interceding, lifting you up before the Father and praying this for you, that you would know that you would have knowledge of His will. That you would be filled knowing what God's will is for you. Since the day Paul learned about the church, since about their faith, their love, their hope, since they received the gospel, he prayed that they would be filled with spiritual knowledge of God's will. Why do we need to know God's will? So we can do it. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not just merely knowing a bunch of facts, knowing all the attributes of God, knowing who he is. It's knowing what he commands us because of who he is. It's knowing these things, being full with that spiritual knowledge. You might want to circle those three words. They all go together. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding. Paul weaves them together here as much as you would find over in the book of Proverbs, chapter 2, for an example. Also in chapter 3, uh, chapter 8, you find it in the book of Exodus, these three terms that come together. Paul's praying and asking that God would fill this church with a spiritual knowledge, a, a, a fullness in the filling. The picture is, is kind of like a, a ship that's about to go overseas before they load that ship down with all the wares, all the things that they would travel uh, with over those oceans. He's praying also for all the other cargo that's needed, everything that's needed and essential so that that ship can make it from one shore to the next. You can just imagine like that Maersk uh, ocean liners that carry all those containers, right? All the fuel and everything that they pour into that great big vessel so that it can make its way all the way across the Pacific Ocean and bring all the Christmas presents, right? All the toys. No. Paul's saying, I'm praying for our spiritual journey. So we go from this shore to that shore. That God gives you the fullness of the spiritual knowledge of him. And the way we get that fullness of the knowledge of him is through wisdom and understanding. Now, it's critical. You want to write in the margin of your Bible, Proverbs 2. We studied this back early in January. Proverbs 2, chapter 1, uh, cha Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and particularly verse 6. What's fascinating there, over when you read how to study the Bible and how to know God, and the hunger you have to have, a willingness you have to have to listen, and the pursuit to realize this is the most valuable thing you can do in life, is hunger for God. What happens is when you have that desire in your heart, God will make himself known. We will discover the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Holy One. 
you will discover the fear of God. That's what wisdom is, right? It's a reverence of God, realizing God is God and we're not. And that when God speaks, I'm to apply what God says because God said it. By the way, that settles it. Doesn't matter if you believe it or not, I believe it or not. God speaks and that's it. That's it. And wisdom is recognizing and accepting that God is the one who calls the shots. And recognizing he's God and I need to surrender and yield to him. Understanding is applying the truth that I learn about God and applying that in my life. I mean, it's not just a head knowledge, it's a heart knowledge as well. It's knowing the truth about who he is and then choosing to apply that in wherever that may affect my life. Paul speaks about these things that we're to have, these two principal things that, that the wise man would say, we should be teaching our children these things. Over in Proverbs chapter 4, the essential things to gather in life as a father speaks to his son is to get wisdom, get understanding, and all you're getting, get more. Get reverence of God. Get, get the fear of the Lord in your heart. By the way, that's how we conduct ourselves in this life. Go read Hebrews chapter 10. That's how we conduct ourselves. The early church did. Go read Acts. It's fascinating. Reverencing God, something that's desperately missing today. Missing in the hearts of men. And the wisdom is, is not enough. It's now applying it, having understanding, knowing the application of these spiritual truths, growing deeper and being full of this. There'd be a helpful thing in our nation if churches knew God's will. And the only way you know God's will is from wisdom and understanding. And the only place you find that is in the word of God. Back in January, we also discovered not only how you train, how you study the Bible to know God's will so that you can obey it. But what's fascinating is we also re- read a verse from 2 Peter verse chapter 1 that said that everything you and I need for life and godliness is found in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. And God has given us all of that. None of us can make the excuse that, you know, I, I just don't know, Pastor Chris. I, I don't have the information. Yes, you do. Everything you and I need has been given to us in Christ Jesus. Through the knowledge of him. Everything I need to live, everything I need need to live godly. All of that is made available to us. Now this is why this is important. You see some false teachers had had corrupted this church. And over in chapter 2, we're not going to go there. But he had warned them. He warns them, listen, don't be taken captive. Don't be cheated through philosophy. Through through elementary principles of this world. the, The traditions of men. The basic principles of this world. Rather than according to Christ. There's always a danger, listen, that somebody's going to try to teach us, instruct us to do their will, to follow their ways. And yet the Christian, our hunger and our heart's desire should be that, that we're growing and understanding the will of God. Nurturing our hearts and our minds in his word. Daily, just saturating our mind with his truth. And we should be praying earnestly for that for the church. That God would reveal, make himself known, reveal his will as he makes himself known. Why? So that we'll obey it. God doesn't just tell us who he is. He tells us what he wants us to do. And what he wants us to do is obey. You know why? Because before we came to God, you knew who we were? We were sons of disobedience. Go read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. We walked according to the course of this air, the power that's in the air, the the power of darkness that now reigns and rules in the present world until Christ returns. Yes, God ultimately reigns and rules, but Satan has his influence. And we once were his children. We were sons. We were daughters of disobedience. We were children of wrath. We had no hope. But once Christ came into our life, that's all been changed. Praise God. 
And so there's a will now that we should want to obey. And we want to obey that will, obey, we want to obey that will by understanding and knowing and asking for spiritual knowledge. And spiritual knowledge is found through wisdom and uh, spiritual understanding. Now, why would we want to know it? That we'll obey it. Or as you'll say in verse 10, that we would walk worthy of the Lord. When he, when he speaks about walking, that's not like, like putting one foot in front of the other physically. He's talking about the conduct of our life, how we flesh out the faith. That you and I should have a desire within us that we would walk in a manner that's worthy of the weight of the Lord. The worth of knowing who he is and what he's like. That you and I would obey him, that we would live in a way that's according to his will. What I believe is to affect my behavior. There's no separation between learning about God and living for God. If I profess to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, then it should be evident in your life and my life by our obedience to him. That we belong to him. That we're his children. And Paul's praying that. He said, this is, I've been praying this for you, that you, you be filled with the spiritual knowledge of who he is, the, the wisdom, the understanding that's there, in order that, that you might walk worthy of the Lord who saved you. That, that we might live in a way pleasing him, fully pleasing him. The only way we can fully please God is, listen, when we fully yield to him and when we have hearts that are wholehearted, committed to him, to obey him. You say, I'm not there, I haven't arrived yet. None of us have. But we're, we should be maturing in that, growing in that. And when we don't, praise God, he prunes us so that we don't continue to do the things we used to do. That, to take away the desire to obey those things, to walk in that way. But now, to live in obedience. That your walk, my walk, would be pleasing. It would be a fragrance to him, a, a, a sacrifice. When you and I surrender our will to obey his will, there's a fragrance to the Lord as we offer ourselves up to him in this way. And, and we walk worthy of the redemption of the blood that he spilt to save us because of all of our disobedience and, and, and the penalty that he paid because of our disobedience. And, and now to walk worthy of the wisdom that we have embraced to walk consistent with the truth that, that he has revealed to us. Paul is praying for fruitfulness, being fruitful in every good work and, and to increase in the knowledge of God. That's what our life should be like each and every day as we mature in the faith, as we grow. We walk worthy of the Lord. How do we walk worthy? Pleasing him, being fruitful by doing good works. They don't save us. Do you know, listen, those good works don't save us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 makes that crystal clear. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anybody should boast. But the next verse, verse 10, says for we are his workmanship created for good works that he prepared beforehand, beforehand that we would walk in them. In other words, listen, if I profess to, to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my good works don't save me. There's one good work that saves me. That's what Christ did at Calvary when he paid the penalty for my sins. He lived the life I could never live. He did all the good works and has the righteousness I need. He paid the penalty for my unrighteousness on the cross. And through a transfer and exchange, through repentance and faith, I repent of my sins and put my faith in his sacrifice. And the Bible says, God, an exchange takes 
place and God treats us just as if we've never sinned. And then he saves us now so that we will do good works. The good works are the fruit that come from a life that's been yielded to him and surrendered to him. And Paul says, I pray that, you know what, you'll walk worthy of the Lord. You'll fully please him and your life will be fruitful in the things that you do, doing good works. Listen, there's good works that only you can do at your workplace because you're the Christian that might be the only Christian that's there. I'm not there. Pastor Paul, Pastor Scott, they're not there. Your brother and sister beside you may not be in that office, in that factory, hey, in that classroom, but you are there. You are there to be a witness, to be salt, to be light. And and your walk, just as my walk, it's important that we are fully pleasing him, doing his will, uh, bearing fruit, being fruitful in, in every good work. In other words, the things that I'm doing are not for my good, but they're for someone else's good. Because I just want them to taste and see that he's good. And as we do that, we also are increasing in our knowledge of him. It's fascinating to me, uh, the, comp, the, 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 the way these two things weave together. The, the knowledge of him and, and increasing in that and fruitfulness. It's kind of what the psalmist would say over in Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. And as a result, he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in its season. Being fruitful, why? Well, because I'm, I'm nurtured in the word of God. I'm saturating my heart and mind with the word of God. It's the same thing Jesus would say over in John chapter 15 when he talks about I'm the vine and you're the branches. The branches can't bear fruit in and of themselves. They have to be attached to the vine. He says, listen, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you'll bear fruit, much fruit. In fact, sometimes God will prune us that we'll bear even more fruit because it glorifies God when we do that. That fully pleases him. My life, your life, I should be examining my life. Listen, am I growing in my knowledge and understanding of the word? Is my life bearing witness and testifying of good works? Is is that fruit born out? Do you see that? You know, every tree bears fruit. Every tree bears fruit. In fact, the, the works that we do in our flesh, Galatians, Paul would say in Galatians chapter five, they're evident. The works of the flesh. But the fruit of the spirit is evident as well. And the works of the flesh, the things we used to do, those things should be less and less in our life. They shouldn't be evident in our life because our hearts have been changed. What should be evident is the fruit of the Spirit. God's Spirit abiding within us and, and manifesting that through all of those that all of that fruit. And there's not nine fruits there. There's one fruit of the Spirit seen in nine different ways. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do I display that? Does my life display that? Is it evident to others around me? Not that I follow a bunch of religious rules, do's and do nots. No, 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 no. But that I'm walking in the Spirit. And it's evident as the, the Spirit manifests Himself in our lives. You see, this walk of obedience... We need to examine our lives critically and honestly. Don't, don't be like the man, James would say, who comes and looks in the mirror of God's word, walks away and forgets what he saw. Don't be, don't be hearers merely of the word, but be effectual doers of the word. 
God, I heard you speak, and I realize that's something I need to repent of. That's something that needs to change in my life. Renew my mind. Help me to put off that old and put on that new way of living. You say, Pastor Chris, I've tried to do that in my own strength, and I just don't have the power to do it. The power to obey. That's interesting because Paul prays about that next. Notice this, these three words that are weaved together. You might want to circle them in verse 11. Strengthened, might, power. Do you see all three of them there? Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. You see, the Christian life, you and I cannot live it in and of ourselves. You and I do not possess the power to do that. The best we can do is going to fall far short of the glory of God. You know why? He requires perfection. And if I stumble in just one point, I fall short of his glory. So what I need, I need an enablement. I need to be empowered. Everybody talks about empowerment today, right? No, 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 no. We need to be empowered by the spirit, the power of God within us to do what God enlightened us to do back in verse 9. His will and, and, and that it would be evident in verse 10, being fruitful, we, we need the strength to do just that. And God, Paul says, I'm praying that you would be strengthened with all might. I mean, the picture here of strength and might and power. One of these words has to do with dunamis. It's a Greek word dunamis, which has to do with dynamite. Dynamite's pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? Did you know dynamite? You can, you can just light something and kind of like a firecracker, right? Just a big, big one. And you can throw that. And man, you can blow something up, right? Or you can take that dynamite and place it precisely somewhere in the side of a mountain and, and light it. And you can blow a pass open so that people can pass through. D- dynamite can be used in a good way. Sometimes it needs to be used in our lives. to Blow some stuff up strategically by the Spirit to make a way. For a new way of living. <clears throat> and there's might. It's the application of that power. It's the manifesting of it. Power in action. And that's what grace does. You see I can't do it. You can't do it. It's God who does it in us. And it's his grace that I need. Each and every day. That works in me. And through me. I can't do it in my own flesh. Daily I have to die to my flesh in order that Christ might manifest himself in me by the power of his spirit. You see, before the new covenant, God said, listen, here's the law. It's written on tablets and this is what you have to keep. But no man had the power to do it except Jesus Christ. And in the new covenant, God says, that word that was on stone tablets, I want to put on hearts. I want to chisel it there. But I'm also going to place the power to do that, my spirit within human hearts. So that when you and I die to self, and this is only by God's grace, we die to self, the spirit of God within us enables us to obey in a way that truly is pleasing to the Lord. It's not you and me, it's Christ in me. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. My, my faith rests in him, the one who sacrificed, who gave himself for me. And, and that's what God wants to do in our lives. Listen, this is our faith is not try harder. Our faith is die harder. We die to self daily. We take up that cross. We die. 
and we follow him. Some of us are frustrated in our Christian walk, and really we should be praying this prayer not only for others, but for ourselves. Listen, I just want to know his will so I can obey it. That my life will bear witness of it. That others will see the fruit of my life and and growing, increasing in the knowledge. And that God's spirit would enable me with, with his glorious power to do this. You see, everything you and I need for life and godliness is known through the knowledge of him. And God's divine power has been given to us, Peter would also say. And it's that power that enables us to live a life now that we're saved that's pleasing unto him. As we live that life and we're empowered by God, we're going to need it. We're going to need it so that we have patience and long-suffering with joy. Why? Because let's be honest, we're fleshing out the faith in a world that's faithless. And as you flesh out the faith in a world that's faithless and doesn't believe in our God, there are going to be some really trying circumstances that are going to demand patience and long-suffering. And when you are patient and when we are long-suffering, what manifests from those two is joy, the byproduct of those. Patience, listen, patience with circumstances as we mature in the faith. As God matures us in the faith, as God perfects our faith, as God grows us and we get perseverance and we endure with patience and we go through those circumstances and trial. Knowing this, that those circumstances are in his hands and he's using those to shape us, mold us and make us more into the image of Jesus Christ and allowing him to do precisely that. And not only the patience there, but the long suffering, sometimes dealing with individuals in those circumstances, right? Oh, God bless them. Amen? God allows them in your life and my life to mold us, to shape us, to refine our faith, to give us more opportunities to have some more good works and to show and make evidence to them as a pattern to them who might believe. That's what Paul knew in his own life. And that's what we, we need in our lives. And, and that God would, would use these two things and then the byproduct of that to be joy. To have joy that comes from the midst of those circumstances. I mean, we always want to be happy in our circumstances, right? No, no, no. Joy isn't contingent on the circumstances. It doesn't depend on the circumstances. I don't have to have just a happy moment and, and, and I'm going to be happy. No, no, it doesn't matter the circumstances because I know this. My God is working all things together for good and for his glory. And, and while I might see it, I might not understand it. I don't understand why this troublesome person is now in my life. No, I realize this is all part of the Father's plan. And, and Lord, may you produce in me that patience and that long-suffering. May you empower me by your Spirit to, to manifest Christ to them, to show them Christ in them. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to, for us to grow and mature to the full stature, the full measure of who Christ is. Ephesians, Paul would argue this. You see, all of this, this enlightenment, this understanding, this this empowering, all of it, when it happens in your life, there's one response that results, and Paul was praying for it, that they would give thanks. That they would give thanks to the Father as he gave thanks for what God was doing in them and and, and the fruit that was being born in them, that that fruit would, would, would be born in other churches as well, in others' lives. Why we give thanks? Because... God has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You see, 
When you and I are doing the will of God, when we're obeying him, we're, we're bearing witness. You know, obedience isn't the fruit of our devotion. Love is. O- obedience is the fruit of our devotion because we love him. Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. Obedience is the fruit that comes from love. I love him. I want to serve him. I want to obey him. And and that's the fruit that's born out. And and when that's happened, uh, we give thanks because the Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of, of the saints in the light. Man, we were in darkness. We were sons of darkness, sons of disobedience. But God showed us mercy. And now he gives us grace. Our life is made new. Things have been changed. And now we're living this out, fleshing this out. And, and my prayer, your prayer ought to be, not just for brothers and sisters, but for our own lives, that, 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 that we would have this joyful, grateful desire to obey him and experience the fullness of, the, uh, of joy that only comes from lives that are yielded and surrendered to him. You see, if my mind, if I've been enlightened, on God's will, how to live for him with spiritual wisdom and understanding. If I've been empowered by the spirit of God, a power far greater than any of our power. I mean, just listen, the power that made everything that you and I see around us is the power that can make us new creations. That's amazing power. If we're encouraged by the Spirit now to stand firm in the faith, no matter what circumstances we may face, to have joy and to patiently endure whatever the world may throw at us, or Satan for that matter, right? If I've experienced all of those things, I mean, then, beloved, we're children of God. And God has qualified us for an inheritance of the saints of light. Man, do you realize all that God has given us in Christ? I mean, everybody said, oh, I'm just looking forward to heaven. No, 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 it starts now. We've inherited him. He is our great reward. And we live for him each day. Don't just say, well, I'm just going to, we're going to make it. Preacher, I can't wait for the rapture. I can't wait to get it. No, 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 live victoriously now. That's what this church was doing. The testimony came through Epaphras. This is a, a testimony that's, that that's now has come to, to you. This gospel that came to them, it's gone to the whole world. It's bringing forth fruit everywhere. Ever since you heard the gospel. You see, do you understand? Paul would pray to the Romans, I want to pray for the obedience of the Gentiles to the faith. For their obedience to the gospel. In fact, you know what God commands us according to 1 John? God commands us to believe the gospel and then love one another. We're to obey him in these things. The gospel isn't something just, well, I've heard it and I got saved. I I walked an aisle and, and, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I heard the gospel. I need to hear the gospel every day. Because you know what the gospel tells me? I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. That I need to die to self, as I testified when I went through the baptism of waters, that I have to die to self, and I've found new life in Christ. And my faith rests in his sacrifice, and that it's complete in him, and that only by the power of his spirit in me, trusting in him, listen, only by the power that works in me is my life going to be made new. I need to preach the gospel to myself each and every day, particularly when I disobey, when I fall short of the glory of God, when I don't do what I ought to do. I've got to preach the gospel to myself and remind myself Christ was enough. That was sufficient. 
That sacrifice is what makes me right to God. And because of that, man, I love him. And I'm grateful for him. And I want him to continue to change my life. I don't want to live in the old ways as sons of disobedience, daughters of disobedience, doing contrary to what God says. No, no. I want my life to be made new. And because now, as Paul would say, we once, listen, we, we thanks be to God that, that we became obedient to that form of teaching to which we were committed. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Praise God, our life has been changed. There should be a want to within us if we truly know him. So this is the response. I'm loving him with all my being. I'm I'm serving him. And the fruit is obedience. And it's born out. It should be born out in our lives. Is that what I see when I look in the mirror of God's word? When I see, when I hear God speak, am I a factual doer of the word? Not that that doing makes me right before God. It doesn't. But I'm doing Because it's been done. It's finished what Christ did at Calvary. And the effect of that is changing me each and every day. It's what Paul's praying. He's praying for them to know God's will and to do it, to obey it. And for that fruit to be a witness to the world around us. And that's what we should be praying earnestly for as well this morning. I want to invite you to bow your heads this morning. And the truth is this, the question is this, am I obeying God? Am I doing His will? Am I filling my mind with the knowledge of His will? Hungering to know God's truth. It begins there. If I don't have a a mind that wants to know God's will, a heart that wants to hear what God says, there'll be no chance of doing it because I'm not even open to it. Maybe it's the case today that That you come to realize, you know what? I am a sinner and I need a savior. I've been doing my will. I've been obeying my own desires. But I realize today, God is God and I'm not. And I need to place my faith and trust in him as Lord and savior. And surrender to him. The altar's open for any who need to make a decision today. To come and say, I need Jesus to be my savior and Lord. You may be a believer today. You may have already made that profession of faith. And God's speaking to you today because you've got to increase that hunger to know, to grow. The key is the word, abiding in Christ and God's word, his word, abiding in you. Maybe you just need to pray for a deeper hunger within our heart. I'm fascinated. David, a man after God's own heart, would write a, a, a hymn, a song rather, over in Psalm 119, over and over again, talking about the word of God and asking God, incline my heart, teach me the precepts, guide me in this way. Begging God to lead him, guide him, direct him, empower him to do that word that he cherished. At times saying even over and over again, revive me, revive me. Your servant has gone astray. Maybe that's you this morning. Man, God is a God of grace and God of mercy. He reaches to us each and every day. Maybe we just need to remind ourselves today. He's just one prayer away from from something new. From changing and making Something new.